Thank you, Aunt and Helen, for having me. Now, you should know that about four months ago, I started praying every day for this time with you, yesterday and today. In my old age, the last thing I want to do is to say anything controversial. I got into enough trouble at Westminster Chapel in 25 years. So I preach around the world and uh, just try to bless the people and encourage them. Once in a while, I feel led to say something that they might not have invited me for. Uh, about two years ago, maybe it's been three, on a trip to South Africa, for some reason, I put in a particular sermon, and I thought, I'm not going to use that. Oh, well, I'll put it in there with all the different things I preach when I go around the world. And lo and behold, in Durban, South Africa, I preached that message. And uh, it was a great blessing to the people. They thanked me profusely. Uh, as And uh, that same sermon, three days ago, there it was. I won't be using that. Oh, well, I'll put it in. And day before yesterday, the pastor of that church in Durban was in uh, Kingston. And I hadn't seen him since then. And we spent time together at breakfast. And I reminded him and we, of the sermon I preached. And I turned to Aunt. I said, I wonder if I'll just preach that for you. Because I put it in there. So this is my idea. I definitely think I'm supposed to do it. And you're not going to be thrilled when you hear the text. But uh, get over it. <laughs> We've brought in policemen. They're at the door. You, nobody can leave. <laughs> okay, here goes. Open your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Book of Malachi. Helen? Helen, could you help Aunt find his place? <laughs> it's the last book in the Old Testament. <laughs> All the way down to the end. All right. Start in verse 8. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food, the authorized version says, meat, in my house. Authorized version says, prove me herewith. I'm using the NIV today. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. 
May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received and applied as you intend upon my tongue, my heart, that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. I pray that this will be a word that will be pivotal in the lives of many and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you probably twigged by now. I'm going to preach a sermon on tithing. Tell you a couple stories. First, when we came to England in 1973, I, I did so because I've been invited to study at Oxford and do research and do a theological research degree there. And at the end of three years, we were all prepared to go back to America. Uh, but to my surprise, I was invited to preach at Westminster Chapel, and uh, they asked me to stay for six months. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones drove to see us and said, please stay for six months. I said, well, the trouble is, doctor, they're probably going to want me to stay longer than that, and I won't. He said, I told them that. I said, are you saying it's okay if at the end of six months I go back to America because we all plan to go back home? He said, it's fine. So we agreed to stay for six months. Uh, after two or three months there, I began to sense these people are really wanting me to stay. And they were coming in every week. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. And I said to Louise, what am I going to do? We, uh, we promised the children we'd be going home and we'd send our books back and souvenirs and uh, our son's new bicycle. And, uh, and I said, I don't know what to do, but I know one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to preach everything I can think of that they might not like. <laughs> I preached that Jesus died for everybody. Think about that. I did. It goes against the third point of Calvinism. I won't go into that today. I'm not going to go there. I'm just letting you know. I preached that. And I preached on tithing. It had never been preached in that church as far as I know. Um... I was interviewed by Evangelical Times, and they said, uh, so you're going to be the new minister of Westminster Chapel. How do you assess the situation in Britain? Well, I said, I'm not qualified to answer that. Well, what are your thoughts? I said, well, I've got two impressions, but this is early days. One is, I think that you're not very strong on evangelism, and the other is, British Christians don't tithe. And uh, they, they wrote that. They printed that. And then, uh, two or three years later, I'm now at Westminster. I'm the minister. And uh, 
publisher comes and they publish the first set of sermons I did, and then another, and then I did something I've only done once. I phoned my publisher, Hodder and Stoughton, and said, I want to write a book on tithing. Silence. You serious? Yes. Oh. Well, we'll come back to you. Well, they came back and said, if we printed your book on tithing, will you buy a thousand copies? <laughs> I said, yes. Because they just wanted to get their money back. They, they didn't think it would sell. They just did it to be nice to me. Okay, if you guarantee a thousand copies, that'll pay for the print run and we'll do it. Well, first thing I did, I wrote Billy Graham. John Stott. I got Sir Fred Catherwood. And they all endorsed the book. Eventually, Archbishop of Canterbury endorsed it. Church Times gave it a great review. It's still in print. In America, it's gone through 26 printings. And on the night of our farewell sermon at Westminster Chapel, when the place was packed, which I could say it was packed during the 25 years I was there, but it was that night, I guess they were all glad to see me leaving. <laughs> I said, where have you been for the last 25 years? It took leaving to get you to come. But they filed by after the service, one after another, to say, God bless you, thank you. And you would not believe them, people who said, thank you for teaching me to tithe. And I was amazed. And I just felt led to do this today. Now, I'm going to assume you know nothing. And I'm going to teach you as if you were a child, know nothing about it, it will be so simple that even if you don't agree with me, at least you get it. So here's the way we start. The word tithe means one-tenth. That's what it means. That's the word. When Malachi said, will a man rob God? He asked that question because of Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, that says the tithe is the Lord's. So here's what that means. If you earn a thousand pounds, then the Lord says one hundred pounds is mine. That's mine. And he puts you on your honor to give it to him. If you earn 10,000 pounds, the Lord says 1,000 pounds is mine. It's already mine. But he puts you on your honor to give it to him. If you earn a million pounds, 100,000 pounds is the Lord's. And he puts you on your honor to give it. If you give him 50,000 pounds, he says, you have robbed me of 50,000 pounds. But the person who is in that bracket 
almost always, not always, but almost always, will say, well, I've given 50,000 pounds. That's more than half the church could afford to give. And I've done them a great favor. Or the person that's earned 100,000 pounds. 10,000 pounds is the Lord, but he says, I, I, I give them 8,000 pounds. That's more than anybody else. According to God, you robbed him of 2,000 pounds. Now, that's the teaching. That's how you rob God, according to Malachi. You, you, you give him some, but you don't give him the whole tithe. He says, bring the whole tithe. Now, I need to tell you, I had a head start on this. My father taught me to tithe. My first job was selling a weekly newspaper called Grit, G-R-I-T. They know about it in America. It comes out of Williamsport, Pennsylvania. My dad said it was his first job as a little boy. He thought what was good enough for him was good enough for me, but I had to wait until I was 10 years old before the people in Williamsport would let a person sell their weekly newspaper. But on my 10th birthday, we had the forms there to fill out and had magazines, newspapers, and I knocked on doors all over the neighborhood and said, would you like a grit newspaper? And I got rid of them all. Came back, sat at the dining room table, brought in all my money, poured it on the table, and I had earned 50 cents. And that meant all the rest we send to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, but I earned 50 cents. And I was so proud. At that time, my father put his finger on a nickel. A nickel is five cents. He put his finger on it. He says, that, my son, is the Lord's. I said, that is mine. <laughs> no. That is the Lord's. I said, that's mine. I made it. I earned it. I want it. Sorry, my son. That is the Lord's. Dad won. God won. I won. And that was my introduction to tithing. My father never became a wealthy man. In those days, he made $8 a day. He was a rate clerk, Clark, Chesapeake and Ohio Railway. He made $8 a day, $40 a week. He would put $4 in the offering every Sunday. He believed it. Years later, Louise and I meet. But before we meet, I occur a lot of debts. And we would have been wise to wait to get married. Uh, but uh, I believe that Jesus was coming soon. <laughs> and uh, I waited a long time. So we got married. That's what you're thinking. Should have waited. But we owed a lot of money. It wasn't her fault, it was mine. 
And so in those days, in our early years, I did not tithe. I reasoned, God understands. The most religious thing I can do is pay my bills. And the Lord will want me to pay my bills first. So I didn't tithe. Two years later, we were deeper in debt. And this time, I certainly rationalized. God doesn't expect me to tithe now. Until one day, I felt convicted. Louise and I made the decision, and I want you to know we were thousands of dollars in debt. I was so unwise in those days. I bought a new airplane. Got a pilot's license. Oh, well, I didn't quite get it, but I could fly. Bought a new car, an Edsel. You don't know about that. Uh, it's the laughing stock of America, but I was one that bought one. And bought all, I, we were thousands of dollars in debt. But the day came, I said, we're going to start tithing. And we start this week. Didn't get out of debt the next day. But about two years later, we were completely debt-free. And that was uh, about 54. No, that would have been 50 years ago. The reason I've been married 54 years, about four years after we got married, we were completely out of debt. I can now say that for 50 years, I have owed nobody anything, not one penny. I was fishing one day with a friend of mine. That was my hobby. I used to love to go fishing. Uh, and he fished off my dock. We, we live uh, in Nashville, Tennessee now, Hendersonville, and on the same uh, lake that Johnny Cash lived on. Aren't you glad you came here today to hear that? <laughs> Aunt and I fished in that lake. Well, I loved fish, but this was a different kind of fishing in the Florida Keys. And a man by the name of Harlan Milby uh, and I were fishing. He paid my tuition when we came to England at Oxford. Paid every penny of my tuition. And I said to him, Harlan, how come you were able to make all that money? He founded two life insurance companies. He was a millionaire many times over. I said, how, how did it happen? He said, it's very simple. He says, when my wife and I got married, we were deep in debt. But I came across a verse. It's 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Them that honor me, I will honor. Them that honor me, I will honor. We started tithing. Then, we couldn't afford it, but we just did it. And he said, the rest is history. Now, I'm not for one minute suggesting that you're going to become a millionaire or you'll be driving Mercedes by this time next week. I... I'm not a multimillionaire. My father was not a wealthy man. But my dad had this strange view. You could call it a mathematical incredulity that if you give God his one-tenth and you take it off the top, you don't pay your bills and then see what's left, or God will never get it. 
you pay the tithe first because you want to honor the Lord and it's an act of faith. My dad says the 90% that you keep will go as far as the 100% you had. In fact, dad said, son, I sometimes think it even goes further. And he lived that way all his life. Well, in those days when I wasn't tithing, uh, Louise and I were living in Springfield, Illinois. And my grandmother had uh, given us a Bible for our wedding gift. Beautiful, big, white Bible. And it sat on the uh, table in our living room. And uh, I noticed the Bible was opened. And I didn't know what it was open to. And I was so discouraged this particular day because I was working as a salesman, wasn't fit to be out in the ministry yet, owed too much money, couldn't have ministry, I need to pay my debts. I was working as a salesman, and I wasn't doing very well at that. And uh, I thought, Lord, I choose to believe that that Bible is opened up to a verse that's going to make me feel better. So I'm going to walk over and see what it says. I walked over and my eyes fell right on these words, Will a man rob God? That made me so angry. I closed the Bible. I went and sit, sat down and turned on the TV that we owed for. And I said, Lord, that isn't what I wanted. I wanted something to make me feel better. It didn't. But I never for forgot it. And it kept haunting me. Well, one day I will start tithing. We say back in the hills of Kentucky, when a fellow says, it ain't the money, it's the principle, it's the money. Voltaire, the French atheist, said, when it comes to money, everybody's religion is the same. Voltaire, atheist. What a pity that that is his perception of Christians. John Wesley said, the last part of a person to be converted is his pocketbook. Now I want to take a minute to explain to you why, in my opinion, Christians don't tithe. I'm going to tell you why they don't. Main reason, number one, almost entirely this reason, they haven't been taught. They haven't been taught. Ministers are afraid to teach it because they're afraid the people will misunderstand their motives. Well, at Westminster Chapel, I didn't care what they thought. I preached it because it's the Word of God. Uh, and here I am today, and there's nothing in this for me, except that you may not want me back again. There's no way I could have any motive. I just feel I'm supposed to bring this. But a lot of ministers uh, don't preach it because they're so afraid that people misunderstand their motives. And another reason I don't say that's the case here, don't mean to offend you in case I'm right, one reason preachers don't preach it, it means that they'll have to start tithing too. But they haven't been taught. 
member of my church in Fort Lauderdale, Bill Webb, never forget it. He says, Pastor, can I tell you how we started tithing? He said, 30 years ago in our church back in Detroit, the pastor said, I want everybody to tithe for three months and then forget about it. He said, we did for three months, but we kept it up ever since to this day. We've never been sorry. That's how we started. The truth is, people who love the Lord want teaching. And if they find out this is the Bible, they want it. And I used to have people say, I hadn't even thought about it. And thank you. And I've watched what it does for people spiritually. It changes them spiritually as well. It's as though that you imagine tight rubber bands around their wrists and they can't open their fingers because of the rubber band. But if somebody were to cut the rubber band, their hands are free. And often the case is that they're not being extravagant givers, hilarious givers. They're just in bondage and don't know why. Second reason they don't tithe. And that is because of a misunderstanding of the place of the law in Holy Scripture. Here's the quick way Christians dismiss it. Tithing is Old Testament. And in case you didn't notice, Malachi is from the Old Testament. And so they say, there it is. That's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. We're not under the law. And you're right about that. You're not under the law. And that is something I cannot stress too much. The first tither was Abraham. 430 years before the law came. He was the first tither. Abraham is the proto-Christian. He is the first Christian. He's Paul's example of justification by faith. God used Paul to bring to the world this great teaching of justification by faith alone. And Abraham, everything that you need to know about the Christian life is in the life of Abraham. The Christian's inheritance is in Abraham. Tithing is in Abraham. Justification by faith. Having God swear an oath to you. I might be preaching on that tonight in another church. What happened was, the origin of tithing is in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham had a nephew, Lot, who foolishly pitched his tent toward Sodom. And one day Abraham got caught in a crossfire of a war between the king of Sodom and other kings. And word got back to Abraham, who proceeded to rescue his nephew Lot. That was all he's doing, trying to rescue his nephew Lot from all this. But the success of Abraham was phenomenal. With his 318 men, and they defeated all the kings, and had all the loot, all the booty, all the gold and precious things 
from all the kings. And Abraham knows now, who already was wealthy, now is doubly wealthy. Out of the blue comes a mysterious figure by the name of Melchizedek. And Abraham is so grateful to God that he gave a tithe of everything to this man Melchizedek as a way of saying thank you to God. The question is, how did he know to give one-tenth? How did the patriarchs know to give one-tenth? Jacob was a tither. How did he know one-tenth? There's only one answer. It was put in their hearts because that was to be the pattern. This is the way the gospel would be supported. All right, there was no law 430 years later because of the sins of the people God brought the law. Now, let me tell you how to understand the law. The law lasted 1,300 years, roughly, from 1,300 B.C. to 33 A.D. So, picture this. We start with creation. Adam and Eve. The fall. Then you come to Abraham. And then you come to 1300 B.C. And from 1300 B.C. to 33 A.D. is a parenthesis, brackets, of 1300 years. And so consider the law in that bracket. Abraham, and then you come to when Jesus died on the cross. You remember that Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham saw beyond the law. And when Jesus died on the cross, and he uttered those words, it is finished. In that moment, the law is over and we're back to Abraham. And in Galatians 3.8, the gospel was first preached to Abraham. And so the parenthesis, it's over. We're right back to Abraham. Abraham tithed, not because he had to, because he wanted to. Now, during that 1,300-year period, you had to. It was the law. You not only have the Ten Commandments, but 2,000 pieces of Mosaic legislation, including tithing. And it was mandatory. You had to do it. We are not under the law. We don't have to do it. Tithing will not save you. Tithing won't even help you get to heaven. In fact, tithing could hurt you. Tithing could even keep you from getting to heaven. You know how? If you think it saves you. If you think tithing helps your salvation, then it has hurt you big time because you're trusting in it. Tithing will not save you. It will not even help you with regard to your salvation. You say, well, then why do it? For the same reason that we live a holy life. Keeping the law 
If you think that helps you, then it hurts you. We're trusting Jesus Christ alone. And that's how you know you're going to go to heaven. Tithing is something you don't have to do. You don't have to do it. But God has given us a pattern. And it shows how to show gratitude. You see, sanctification is the life of gratitude. That's what I taught the first time I came to this church four years ago on Galatians. Sanctification is a way of saying thank you to God. You don't get to heaven because of your sanctification. If you start thinking your sanctification will get you to heaven, you will immediately trust it every time and not what Jesus did for you on the cross. It's what Jesus did for you on the cross plus nothing that saves you. All right. It's like the P.S. at the end of a letter. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. This is why you live a godly life. You live a godly life because you're thankful. There's another reason to live a godly life, and this is what I'll be preaching on tonight. I'm not doing this to try to get anybody to come. You're welcome to do so. But tonight, I'm going to preach on the Christian's inheritance. All Christians are going to go to heaven. You're saved eternally. But we're all called to receive an inheritance. And that inheritance is by persistent faith after we've been saved. Tithing is a part of that. Not the only thing, but it's part of it. And those who don't tithe will be the ones that are robbed of spiritual victory down the road. But in any case, it's not going back to the law, it's going back to Abraham. Third reason people don't tithe, and that is because they just don't want to. Call it greed, call it selfishness, call it unbelief. I've had people answer me, my book on tithing, and in every single case, when you get to the bottom of it, they don't want to have to give. They're looking for a reason they don't have to. And of course, if you can give people a good reason you don't have to tithe, they were all eager to read that. As a matter of fact, uh, somebody uh, answered my book, Tithing, in a Christian magazine some years ago, the forerunner of Christianity, the magazine before that. Uh, a man answered me in tithing, in an article on tithing. And uh, here's what he said. Tithing is only the beginning. We are not required to tithe. We're required to give everything to God. Tithing is not it, because everything belongs to God. And of course, people say, oh, I love that. I met that man accidentally. A couple of months after the article came up, and uh, we became friends. We did. And when I got to know him a little bit, I said, can I ask you a question? You know, in the article you wrote, you said that tithing is only the beginning, that everything is God's. Yeah, that's right. I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you, at the end of the year, when you 
count up how much you've given to your local church, does it come up to the tithe? In other words, you say, it's only the beginning. I'm asking you, at the end of the year, if you got receipts to show that what you actually give, because everything belongs to God, does it come up to the tithe or does it go beyond it? He looked at the floor. He looked at this up in the ceiling. He looked around. He said, it doesn't even come close to the tithe. He doesn't tithe at all. The very man who's making this case all belongs to God. On the other hand, a Christian businessman uh, read my book, Tithing, and he bought copies for everybody in his local parish church. And the increase of that church doubled the first month. People simply need to be motivated. But there are those who refuse. My friend O.S. Hawkins says, when the backbone of greed is broken, it's like the rubber bands I was talking about. People soar when they start to give, and revival will not be far away. In fact, Billy Graham made the comment, could it be that God would use this teaching to bring revival? It shouldn't surprise you. John Wesley said, the last part of the person to be converted is his pocketbook. And people can believe God for a lot of things, but then when it comes to the money, they get real quiet. Now, another part of my sermon. We're over half through. Uh, you like to know? Won't be much longer. I'm praying for God to give you grace. <laughs> Why every Christian should tithe. Reason number one. Jesus endorsed it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is one of the weightiest statements Jesus ever made. It comes out in Matthew chapter 23. Read the 23rd chapter of Matthew and see how Jesus picked the Pharisees' teaching to pieces. He picked them to pieces. Line upon line, point by point, he laughed at him, he made fun of him. You can hear, you can hear the common people laughing their heads off at the way Jesus was making fun of the Pharisees. He only gave them one point, and that is when it came to tithing, because Pharisees tithed, Jesus said, you're right to do that. That was the only thing he gave them. They tithe. He said, on that, you ought to have done that. That's good. Do you realize where missions would be today if Jesus hadn't said that? Jesus' endorsement of tithing should tell you a lot. He was a tither. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. You see, Jesus did everything for us. He kept the law for us. That's why his righteousness is put to us. He even was baptized for us. He was baptized for us. John the Baptist said, no, I, I, I should be baptized by you. No, Jesus said, you baptized me to fulfill righteousness. The reason you don't have to be baptized to get to heaven is because Jesus was baptized for you. Why should you be baptized? Because you want to follow him. 
Do what he did. Be baptized. You want to live a holy life? You want to live for the Father's glory like he did? You want to tithe like he did? Second, the Apostle Paul assumed it. He took it for granted when in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he said, let everybody lay in store and, and give the first day of the week, a, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Look at this. In keeping with his income. That's the tithing principle. Have you ever thought about this, that tithing is the fairest principle on the earth? When the millionaire goes into Sainsbury's or Tesco's to get a pound of minced beef, he pays the same thing you do. Or you, when you go to get petrol, what you pay for petrol, the millionaire pays for petrol. But when it comes to tithing, if you just make 10 pounds, you only have to give a pound. The millionaire, if he makes 10 million pounds, owes a million. It's the fairest system of all. Keeping his income. In keeping with his income. Set aside. What does it mean, set aside? Put it to one place that you won't spend it. It's a fair system. And so Paul took it for granted and then added this in chapter 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly but or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you have, you will abound in every good work. And he goes on to say, you will be blessed in every way. First, Jesus endorsed it. Second, Paul assumed it because it was brought up this way. Third, what it will do for the work of God. Malachi says that there may be food in my house. Uh, the authorized version says that there may be meat in my house. In other words, this is the way the gospel is supported. So that those who are full-time in ministry will eat. This is the way it's done. But you could also make a case that there may be meat in my house. I wouldn't want to push this one too far. This is the only part that I wouldn't push too far. Meat meaning, when you come to hear your pastor, wouldn't you like meat and not milk? Wouldn't you like good preaching that there may be meat in my house? Don't be surprised. If everybody here were to start tithing, and I don't know that you're not, by the way. Maybe you're already... I, I know one thing. If you're all tithers, you're loving this message. If you're not, you're looking at your watch how much longer. <laughs> there, that there may be meat in my house. You come and your pastor preaches better than ever. 
what it will do for the work of God. And I used to say at Westminster Chapel, if everybody would tithe, we would have more money to send to missionaries, we'd have more money to fix up the place that was needing redecoration bad. If everybody would tithe, we'd have the money. And I would say this to the Church of England, and finally, the Archbishop of Canterbury read the book and he endorsed it, because Anglicans need it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And by the way, there will be no tithing in heaven. For some, there's been no tithing on the earth. But let that not be the case. Fourth, why should every Christian tithe? What it will do for God in heaven. It honors Him. It glorifies Him. You glorify God by your giving because you have to do it in faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And when you give it and say, I don't know how I can do it, but you do it anyway. You please God because you're doing it in faith. Fifth, what it will do for you. Now, I think a lot of people would start out, here's why you should tithe what it will do for you. I ended up with that. First, Jesus endorsed it. Second, Paul assumed it. Third, what it will do for the work of God. Fourth, what it will do for God. Fifth, I will now come to this, what it will do for you. At the natural level, here's what Malachi said. And you know what's interesting to me? He said this to when they were under the law. <laughs> Look, when you're under the law, you have to do it. You have to. But Malachi added something. He didn't need to say this. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food or meat in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. What it will do for you, you will be amazed. Remember my church back in Fort Lauderdale, his name was Bob Walker. He used to say to me when I first came there, he said, I give my $5 a week, and that's it. He's rather proud of that. He said, but if everybody here gave $5 a week, you'd all be better off, and he's given his $5 a week. I didn't say anything. Some months later, maybe about a year later, he said, uh, Pastor, you might like to know I started tithing. Really? Yeah, I've been tithing for several months. Thought you might like to know. Well, I said, uh, good. He said, you know something? You know what I learned? Tell me. I haven't missed it. That's what he said. Didn't say he went out and bought a Cadillac. He just said, I haven't missed it. He was so sure he would miss it, and he just couldn't make it. I haven't missed it. And then, some months after that, he started coming to church on Sunday nights. He'd never done that in his life. He had Sunday night services. And even on Wednesday nights, anybody that comes to church on a Wednesday night in America, they're pretty spiritual. 
He was coming on Wednesday nights. He, he began to grow spiritually. And before I left, we made him a deacon. My point is, what it will do for you spiritually. The man I was named after, in case you didn't know, I know you thought that R.T. stood for right theology. <laughs> but the name I was, man I was named after was Dr. R.T. Williams, my father's favorite preacher. I'm Robert Tillman. I've been R.T. all my life, named for my dad's favorite preacher. Dr. R.T. Williams told the story of a man who made a million dollars and gave a hundred thousand to the church and had receipts to show it. And sometime after that, went bankrupt. His friends and some of his relatives came to him and said, Well, I wish you hadn't given all that money to the church now. Oh, he says, You've got it all wrong. He said, That hundred thousand dollars that I gave to the church, that's the only amount that I kept. If he hadn't given that hundred thousand, he'd lost everything. He'd lost that too. But he had given a hundred thousand to the church. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, that's the only amount I kept. Do you know why I tithe? I'm giving it to God. That's the way I see it. I'm giving it to God. He knows. When I was pastor of that church in Fort Lauderdale, I found out something one day that I kind of wish I didn't know. Here's what happened. One Monday morning, the church treasurer said, uh, Pastor, uh, I got all the money from the collections yesterday here on the table, and I need to make an errand. Would you just kind of stay nearby and, and look after the money in case some odd person comes in or so, whatever, and uh, I'll be back in, in about 45 minutes. And so I said, sure. <laughs> I did something I shouldn't have done. Wish I hadn't. But I did. I looked to see who gave and who didn't, because they all paid by check. I was never so shocked in all my life. The poorest people in the church were the tithers, the single mothers, the divorcees, the widows. Those on the lowest incomes were paying a tithe. Those who were having bigger incomes were giving a pittance. Although it was more than what the widows were giving. You see, people that make more money, they think, well, what I'm giving is more than anybody else. You don't get it. That widow, that single parent who gave her little bit of her tithe, that tithe was as real and as precious to God as the millionaire and the one who holds it back does not please the Lord. He's robbing God. But it, it taught me something. And I've discovered it. The wealthier people don't tithe. Those who have higher incomes just don't. They figure they're giving more than anybody else. And they miss it. It's for God you're doing it. And so if you're the poorest person here and you're living on 30 pounds a month, 
your three pounds is so precious in God's sight. You're giving it to him. And so, any level of obedience affects the whole. Since tithing won't get you to heaven, you might like to know what will. What will? Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? If you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, and he might, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Suppose we passed out sheets of paper as you came in. You didn't know why you had them. But I'm going to tell you now. You got a sheet of paper on your lap? Go along with me. Just imagine you got this sheet of paper. I want you to write down in your mind your answer to the question. If you stood before God and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Start writing. Only one answer will do. Give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there. You know what you'd say? Give the right answer. It's, it's important. What you would say to God, why should I let you in? Okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. I'm getting ready to close. Hang on there, it's almost over. General observations. The first question people ask, is it the gross or net? In my little book, Tithing, you ought to get it. It's called, they changed the title, Gift of Giving, they call it now. Bad move. They should have kept it tithing, but that's what they did. But you can still get it. And I have at the end of the book, ten questions. And I come up with every question I could think of. And the first question is, is it the gross or net? And I'm sorry, but it's the gross. Because the gross is money. It goes to you and you get the benefit of it. Whether it's through national health or whatever you give, it's taken out. It's really yours. And uh, forgive me for this, this might make you feel better. When we lived over here, and I was here for 25 years plus three and a half uh, before we came to London, we had the benefit of national health. We loved it. My, you don't realize. I know there are defects and problems, and, but my, we were so thankful for national health. We miss it. We miss it. And so you, 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 you get the benefit. You should tithe the gross. After all, remember, you can't outgive the Lord. Another observation, tithing is the minimum. You want to give more? Go for it. Question is, where do you give the tithe? The answer is, storehouse. That's what we're told. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? Ask any rabbi. Local synagogue. And why does he say whole tithe? That's because people, well, they, 
If it's raining that Sunday, oh, won't be able to go to church, and then they don't give that day either. The whole tithe means if you miss a Sunday, the following week, you double it. Or if you pay once a month. But you make sure that at the end of the month, end of the year, at least there's a minimum tithe. I just want you all to know something. This is the way I live. We pay our tithe, Louise and I, to our local Baptist church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I'm not there five Sundays a year, but I mail it in. It's my local church. Debating whether to tell you this, but I will. We actually double tithe. I not only tithe our income, but anything goes into our ministry, out of which I'm paid a salary. Tithe that too. All of it. Love offerings, book sales, royalties from books. I tithe that, which is part of my ministry, and I tithe our own personal income. And I've never been so blessed. I don't drive a Rolls Royce. And I don't fly first class, but we're blessed. You cannot outgive the Lord. And I challenge you, God is no respecter of persons. I love the fact that in the authorized version, you that have it or brought up on it, remember it says, prove me herewith. Prove me. Now, did you know that the Bible makes no attempt to prove God? Did you know that? Did you ever wonder about it? You know, this is God's book. This is His book. You'd think somewhere in this book there'd be something that would prove His existence. You'd think, you know, to give Him good press and uh, uh, say, everybody, here's how you should know that I exist. There's nothing in the Bible that proves God. It just says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the theologians that come up with the proofs of God, the cosmological proof of God, Thomas Aquinas, the teleological proof of God, the ontological proof of God. But these that do that only are preaching to the choir. The nearest the Bible comes to proving God, the nearest he comes, is when it comes to tithing. He says, prove me, Herewith, and see if I will not throw out the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room for it. The nearest God comes to proving his existence, be a tither. Dr. W.H. Criswell, who was pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, told this story. A minister had 150 members in his church. Somebody said, how many members have you got? He said, 150. How many of your 150 members tithe? He said, 150. Really? 150 members and 150 tithers? He said, yep. He said, about a third of them give it to God and he takes it from the rest. <laughs> he has a way of taking it. Why don't you give it to him? You will know the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Bet you didn't know he wrote a poem. 
goes like this. There was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. And what did you write on that sheet of paper? Polygo, you know what you wrote. Don't change it now. You know what you wrote. If you stood before God, he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Write it down. The question is, where will you be a hundred years from now? First time I visited Yasser Arafat, asking that question, as the Ra'is, the issue is not whether you or the Israelis get Jerusalem. Where will you be a hundred years from now? Now you're standing before God, and for real, The more space you need on that sheet of paper, the worse shape you're in. Two words will work. Jesus died. The blood of Jesus. And I want to say to you, you're here today, I say this lovingly. If on that sheet of paper you wrote anything other than trusting Jesus' death on the cross... I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But that could be sorted out right now. If you wrote the wrong answer, if you wrote the wrong answer, I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. I want you to pray it now. Don't need to say it out loud. Say it in your heart. God will see you. Here goes. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Tell him that. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. That's it. 